My next guest spent time as the deputy in the attorney general's office to Andrew Cuomo when the former governor was the attorney general. Steve Cohen then went on to be secretary to the governor under Cuomo. He's a former assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District. And again, he does not own the New York Mets. It's not the same Steve Cohen, but a very smart and successful man. Nevertheless, he wrote a column in the Wall Street Journal, which reads, Trump's $355 million fine fits with New York law. We know that already, Steve, but it's still garbage. The verdict feels proper. No, it doesn't. But will we come to regret stretching executive law 63? So Steve knows right off the bat in all transparency. I'm a good buddy of Trump. I think this uh, case was repulsive. I think Letitia James is repulsive. I think this judge should be disbarred. They knew before this thing even started Trump was going to be guilty. This is a bunch of nonsense, politically driven. And how do I know that? Because Letitia James ran her campaign on saying, saying it, quote, quote, I'm going to get Trump. And she got him. So I don't want to hear any law that provides some backup to Letitia James because she wanted to do this and she did it. But, but, Cohen is a lawyer and will present some type of case here. Stephen, good morning. How are you? Good morning, and I appreciate, first of all, you making it clear that I have no affiliation with the New York Mets, given what preceded me on this broadcast. <laughs> Are you a Met fan? Uh, you know, the problem is, I, although I was born in Brooklyn when I was a kid, in 1968, my parents moved me to Chicago, which will break any sports fan. Um, growing up as a, uh, you know, a, a young kid, um, you get your heart broken enough, you realize find a different sport. So uh, <laughs> I, I do not follow the Mets. I uh, I embrace ice hockey because it's the only sport that I think actually replicates life. Well, listen, I'm a big Ranger fan too. So you were a Chicago Blackhawk fan? Uh, I, you know, uh, the Blackhawks and the Devils and the Rangers are going to break your heart. They're doing it again. They're setting you up. Oh, I think you're 100% right. Nine straight wins, beating everybody. All their stars are playing well. Even Chesterkin's playing well again. There is no doubt, you're right, Steve, that they're setting us up for a colossal fair. But we'll see. Uh, it's been fun watching them so far this regular season. Let's get to the uh, the column. Now, you heard what I said moments ago, and that is that if Letitia James never mentioned Donald Trump, and she became the attorney general, and she brought this case even then, it's still ridiculous, but at least you can say there's something behind it. But when you campaign on getting Trump, that was her campaign. Not, I'm going to put guilty people in jail. Not, I'm going to make the streets in New York safer. No, I'm going to get Trump. And then you get this ridiculous lawsuit. Uh, you have to admit, Steve, that whether there's law to it or not, it loses a lot of its merit. You're 100% right in the sense that we have moved to a world where you know prosecutors were always political. I early in my career as a federal prosecutor, I've been a state prosecutor, and I will acknowledge that there is there, there is no laboratory of purity in which prosecutors are operating. Uh, unfortunately, and we can debate why this has happened in the last call it five to ten years, there has been a greater sense of politics in um, in offices of prosecutors, and in particular when you're dealing with elected prosecutors. More and more, as you just pointed out, they're running off of positions they're going to take, which as lawyers, they shouldn't be doing. They should be saying, I'm going to look at it. If there's a case, I'll bring it. If there isn't a case, I won't bring it, but I'm not prejudging anything. And and with respect to uh, Tish James, no question. 
she ran on this. There are a number of other people who are currently in office in New York that did a similar thing. And it, it sure does, for the reasons you just mentioned, raise a, 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 a sort of a specter of a lack of both credibility and you know, fairness when it comes to those proceedings, if you run on the position, I'm going to make the case, I'm going to win the case. Right, so so, so that's a, a very fair assessment by you. You agree with me, that's great. And then, again, even though you're going to explain to me why the Executive Law 63 gives her every right to do this, and legally she had a right to do it, uh, you would agree that it's very, very, very rare that you have a case like this where there's no victim. Steve, the banks didn't complain. They made a ton of money on interest. So the banks made money. Trump paid off his debts. There is no victim here. What exactly right. did Trump do? And that you're at the heart of, of, from a legal perspective, you can look at this politically, you could look at it legally. Legally, if you say what's going on here, and, you know, for many years I sat in a prosecutor's office uh, and tried to figure out, the most effective, efficient way to bring cases. That's part of the job. It's part of, and I don't mean to minimize it, but it's part of the game. It's the strategy. It's the tactics of what you're doing in those offices. Part of your head, though, has to go to how do I operate fairly and appropriately under the circumstances? What's odd about this, and you hit it exactly right, is that in a normal fraud case, if you were to bring a civil fraud case, the SEC were to bring a fraud case, you would have to prove that the statements were not true, that they were material. In other words, that they actually mattered, that they relied, were relied upon, and in most instances, especially in a civil case, that there were damages. 6312, the New York State Executive Law under which this case was brought, is a completely different animal. It is the bazooka of the armaments that an AG has. Because what 6312 does is it says, that stuff doesn't really matter. What matters is that there is a fraud that is persistent and pervasive, which means it just happened a lot, and that the statements tend to mislead, tend to deceive. Whether or not they deceived, whether or not they misled, becomes irrelevant. Now you may say, why in the world do you have this kind of law? And the answer is because if you think about it in the context of consumer fraud, somebody is selling something to the consumer and they are persistently making misstatements about the item that they're selling. You want a mechanism for the AG to come in and shut that down, get an injunction, prevent it from happening. That is this law. Now, I think quite aggressively and not wrong in a legal sense, this was used in a different context. Again, I would say from a tactical standpoint, you know, kudos to the smart lawyers who figured out you could do this right. and succeeded. Right. But it does give you some pause. And, and in your case, more than some pause. No, I'm pissed. reason to be quite on. Yeah, yeah, I'm pissed. Exactly. And, then, and then I want to see, you talk about uh, in 6312, and you're right, no argument here, repeated fraudulent or illegal acts. Now, we know, for example, how unprepared this the case was because they actually valued Mar-a-Lago at about $18 million. Steve, if that's worth $18 million, I will help raise the money with you today. It's, it's closer to about $400 million. So he undervalued some, they undervalued properties, he overvalued properties. And you know this, this happens in the real estate business every day, every day. 
if his name wasn't Donald Trump, in a million years would Letitia James pursue something as silly as this? Again, when at one point they value Mar-a-Lago about $300 million less than it's really worth. So, you know, yes, the, the, the executive, the law's there and all that, but you can talk to your blue in the face. No one is ever going to convince me that they would ever bring this case against anybody else, anybody, than Donald Trump. Well, it's an interesting issue. You, you, you could argue that in, in a prior generation, cases people forget that they should remember um, the Grasso case uh, that was brought under Spitzer, the Hank Greenberg case. Well, hold on. Let's um, stop there right was... there because uh, we actually got pretty funny with Dick Grasso when he ran the New York Stock Exchange. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think you told me this yesterday. It's interesting. Spitzer was the guy that really started this type of aggressive stuff. What was that case about again? Well, the, yeah, I mean, the, the problem with the Grasso case, which which people forget is it was really a, a case about um, about his level of compensation at the time. The New York Stock Exchange was a not for profit. Right. And the question was, um, why is he making so much money? There, there was a very powerful charities law in New York. Um, a similar situation. Spitzer quite cleverly said, we're going to look at it. Uh, there are no comparables that justify this level of pay. The problem is the board of the New York Stock Exchange, a, a bunch of incredibly well-respected um, individuals. I think at the time it was chaired by, if I'm not mistaken, Carl McCall and a number of other people, or at least I think McCall may have chaired the comp committee, blessed the compensation, and they did have comparables from private industry. That should be enough. But again, you know, to your point, these kind of selective cases leave people in the public um, with real concerns about how are you exercising discretion when you're sitting in a very powerful office.